You know, in one of the Peanuts comic strips, Lucy comes into the house and she confronts her brother Linus and says, you need to change the TV channel and then threatens him with her fist if he doesn't. What makes you think you can walk right in here and just take over? Linus asks. Lucy responds, these five fingers. You see, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And Linus then asks, what channel do you want? <laughs> Turning away, he then holds up his hand and he looks at his fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> My friends, you and I, we are connected. We are connected in a covenant of relationship, a covenant of relationship with one another through the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I are affected. We're affected by that relationship with each other through Christ. It's so important, this relationship in Jesus, to have right relationships with each other Jesus, even earlier in the math, in Gospels of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, says this. So when you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister have something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift to me. Now, I know what many of you are thinking. Come on, pastor, this is a church. There's no conflict in a church. Oh, my friends, wherever two or three are gathered, there is going to be conflict, right? Amen. Author, pastor, psychologist Larry Cobb writes this. The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but is rather in our attitude toward the conflict and our approach to handling that conflict. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of spiritual community. In other words, it's how we handle conflict that determines the level of our spiritual maturity. If conflict is dealt with in a mature manner, then intimacy is going to deepen. The relationship is going to become richer. If conflict is dealt with in an immature manner, then enmity and ill will will grow and the relationship will deteriorate. Now, here's an example for you, right? Conflict in marriage is not a bad thing. I hope you heard that. Conflict in marriage is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, 
It should be expected. I get worried when couples come to me and say, oh, pastor, we never have a conflict. I want to say, well, you're either lying or somebody has given up themselves. And we actually are now dealing with codependency, right? Now, I have to be careful here because I don't want to preach another sermon on codependency. But I do think it is worth mentioning. And what I want to say is this. What is codependency? Codependency is when we get our self-worth, our self-fulfillment by many times our spouse and what they think and feel about us. Or we get it from other people. Now, this is a dangerous place to be. Because one of the things that we have a society that tells us is that, you know what? You're only half a human being until you find that person out there, okay? You're only half, and, and we sing the songs just as loud as anybody else on the radio, but this is codependency, okay? And what I want to tell you is, no, that is not God's plan. You need to be dependent on God. So I will say, yes, you are a half a person until Jesus Christ comes into your heart and your life. Then you become a whole person. Then you become a full person. And what happens, especially in, say, a marriage, when you have two people that have themselves are being completed, not by the other person, they're being completed by Christ, and they come together, now you have some health. Now you have Christ in the relationship. Now you have a means by which to deal with the conflicts that come. And so you heard that, right? I didn't say that when you have Christ in relationship, conflicts never come. No, when you have Christ in the relationship, you have an ability to deal with the conflicts that come. We need to learn how to handle conflict, and we need to do it in a loving, mature, Christ-honoring way. Sociologist Joseph Greeney says, if you don't talk it out, you will act it out. Now here in Matthew 18, Jesus gives us a simple plan for how to handle conflict. The first thing, the first step, is just having a right attitude. Jesus sets the stage for our conflict resolution, and he goes back to the beginning of this chapter. Now, one of the things I always want you to realize is that when we're talking, when pastors are preaching, right, we're always, you, you, you take a, a passage from the Bible, you take a, the pericope out, and then you study it, and you go over it, and you glean from it, and you, you preach on it, you expound, and you have something. But the other part of this is to always remember, especially here in Matthew, that Matthew has been laying foundations for us, and we've been working through this, all right? And so, in the earlier part of Matthew 18, in 18.4, Jesus says something really important. He's talking about children and our need to humble ourselves like a child. And he even says this, the humble are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
My friends, we've got to apply that into our passage today. And we've got to approach conflict with grace and humility. To be humble means to be brought low. And that is in opposition to what the world and the flesh wants us to do when we experience conflict. The world tells us, you know what you need to do? You got to win this, and you got to win it at any cost. You need to exalt yourself. You need to justify yourself. You need to prove to others that you are right. And what you have set up at this point, you set up a dichotomy of I'm right, therefore you have to be wrong. And when that happens, everybody loses. There is no winner in that scenario. But you know what? If we approach conflict and dealing with it in the sense of humility, we see that the goal really is not who can win. The goal is reconciliation, not justification. Our plan here in Matthew 18 is to mend relationships, not to choose sides and declare a winner. If we approach conflict with our pride, if we approach conflict with our hubris, the conflict will only grow and deepen and get worse. Again, if only one person can win, then everybody loses. You know what, my friends? Before you go into a conflict for some difficult discussion, I want to invite you to do this. You need a heart check. Where are you? You know, are you humble? Are you gracious? Are you loving? Ask yourself this question. Am I motivated by the love of Jesus Christ? Not to be right, but to mend a relationship. And you know what? It's actually more than just mending a relationship. It's actually going deeper. It's intimacy. That's one of the things that I think is so important for, for newlyweds and for those of us who have been married a while to realize that as these challenges come, as the conflicts come, can either deteriorate or they can help us move closer together and move into a deeper sense of intimacy. And it's also true for the church. Together, we can draw together closer in the love of Christ into a deeper sense of love and appreciation for one another into a deeper sense of, of intimacy. Step number two is a private conversation. Talk with the person that you are having conflict with, of course, in a loving way. No yelling or using ugly words is allowed. If you do that, that's a good check of where your heart is. You're not interested in reconciliation. You're trying to win. The other part of this is start soon. Conflict, true conflict tends to build. Anger and bitterness, when we allow it, can take root in our very soul and make us spiritually sick. And then, and this is so important, meet face to face if at all possible. 
all right? No email and no text. No letter, no note. Anything less than a face-to-face conversation places barriers between the people involved. And then when you do meet, make observations and not accusations, okay? Here's what I see. And then that becomes important as well. You got to own it, all right? You can't come to somebody and say, well, this nebulous we feel this way. We think you ought to do this. I don't know who we is. We could be you and the mouse you have in your pocket, right? What we want to say is no. We're going to get together and you're going to own yourself. I think this. I see this. I feel this. You know, when you accuse someone, you put them on the defensive, and that's not what we want to do. We really want to get facts. We want to make your observations, and then you got to do this. And this really is, this is absolutely critical to all of this. Not only that you state what you understand is the conflict, but the next thing is you have to do this, and that is listen. You do not know the whole story. Listen. Don't interrupt and let them finish. Now, if this is done in humility, if this is done in a spirit of the love of Christ, I promise you resolution will be found and peace and trust and harmony is going to be given and a greater intimacy is going to be discovered. Now, step three. Step three, if things aren't going well, take a witness. The witnesses are there to bring reconciliation. Now, let's be clear. This is not you bringing somebody or your friend with you to gang up on another person, okay? That's not what what Matthew means in this case, what Jesus is talking about. We need someone who is wise. We need someone who is not on our side, but is on the side of the relationship, And who's going to come and help us keep emotions in check and help us to clarify the issue that's before us. Now, if this doesn't bring reconciliation, there is a fourth step. And the fourth step is gather wise people in the church and let them mediate. Again, the goal is reconciliation. You know, sometimes you can't even agree to disagree. And only then is there separation. Then hear these words from Jesus. Jesus says to then treat them as a Gentile and tax collector. I mean, Jesus is saying, right, we've got to treat that person with contempt now. Absolutely not. That's not what we read in Matthew's gospel. No, Jesus loved Gentiles. Jesus loved tax collectors. Christ walked in love with them, hoping to win them over. And that's what we're called to do. No hatred, but we separate. And then we continue to love them. We continue to pray for them. We say, okay, so we need some different boundaries here, but it doesn't mean we can't continue to love. My friends, when 
we deal with conflict as Christ directs us. I promise you, you're going to see positive results. You're going to see it in your life, and you're going to see it in your church. We'll see agreement. We're going to see answered prayer. We'll see healing. We'll see the very presence of God when we give ourselves to being a Matthew 18 church. And isn't that important? Isn't that what we're called to be? We, we say we're biblical, right? Well, let's live that way. Let's be, let's be a Matthew 18 church, and let's be Matthew 18 disciples who take conflict and understand it for what it is, an opportunity for resolution that leads to deeper intimacy, deeper love, deeper growing in Christ and in growing with others. You know, verse 20, I love the close of our passage. Verse 20 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. Christ's presence is what makes a healthy church. Christ's presence is what makes a healthy relationship. And Christ's presence is what makes a healthy person. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.